0: Hello everyone and welcome back to In the Active Sight, the podcast where you meet the brightest minds in the fields of biocatalysis and biotransformations. My name is Christoph Winkler and I present this podcast together with my colleague Matthias Pickel. We are both scientists in the Elk Crew Graz who will host the upcoming Biotrans 2021 conference. Today, we have a very special guest dialing in from the US. It's an honor to welcome the winner of the Biotrans 2021 Junior Award, Professor Todd Heister from Cornell, uh, Cornell University. Hello, Ted, uh, Todd. First of all, congratulations and welcome in the active site.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. It's, it's great to have this opportunity.
0: Hello, and welcome also to you, Matthias.
1: Hello,
2: Christoph. Hello, Todd. It's great to be here again. Todd. At the beginning, let us introduce you and uh, your background a bit. So, you did your PhD studies at the Colorado State University in Fort Collins with uh, Professor Rowis focusing on transition metal catalysis uh, CH activation. During this time, you also went for a brief visit to the lab of Professor Thomas Ward in, ba- uh, in Basel, uh, Switzerland, where you used the streptavidine biotin uh, system with a rhodium-based catalyst. Catalyst to perform CC bond formations. Was this work on artificial metalloenzymes your first contact with biocatalysis and biochemistry?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I, I had maybe taken one or two uh, you know, biochemistry courses in, in undergrad, but um, all of my undergraduate and graduate research to that point had been focused on transition metal catalysis.
2: Following your PhD, you moved to the lab of uh, Nobel Prize winner Francis Arnold uh, as a postdoc. And from your publication list, I speculate that you may remain true to transition metal complexes but this time within enzymes working on cytochrome P450s. Your next career step was a position as assistant professor at Princeton University until you finally moved to your current position as associate professor at Cornell University. Given the successful research you did as an independent PI in Princeton, I guess you had several options for your next career step. What was the motivation behind the decision for your next step, or in other words, what is it that the university needs to be attractive for a
1: young PI? Yeah, so uh, you know, I think the the decision to move to Cornell was you know primarily personal, but um, I think professionally it, it offered a, a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, consider you know new directions for for our program and, and other types of applications for for biocatalysis, and so. Um, I sort of viewed it as an opportunity, um, uh, you know, mostly on on my personal side, but also on on my professional side, which was really great. You know, I I think in in terms of, you know, what a university needs to do to attract uh, young uh, PIs, I think, um, you know, having you know, a really strong and collegial department. And I think I, I was incredibly fortunate at, at Princeton and, and now at Cornell uh, to be surrounded by, you know, really friendly, top-notch researchers that you can work with to, you know, push science in, in really fun in new directions.
2: On your website, you state members of the Heister Group are trained in synthetic chemistry, organometallic chemistry, and chemical biology with a strong emphasis on chemical reaction development. And as we discussed, your own background is in all, all of these disciplines. Are you actively looking for students with a multidisciplinary background, or do you try to have a mix of
1: experts from different disciplines in your group? You know, it's an interesting question. I think. Um the the way that it's sort of worked out in the group is that we end up having people that come from from different backgrounds and you know working together as a team we're able to take advantage of of everyone's expertise's to to push reactions and, and biocatalysis in, in new directions and so you know I think when when we recruit people to the group uh, I'm I'm mostly interested in in their interest in biocatalysis and um, uh, that that's I, I would say what I'm primarily interested in. Um. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to reproduce uh, enthusiasm. Uh, if people have it, then you're already in a, a really great spot to do some some incredible chemistry.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, I, I would agree.
2: So, staying on your webpage, tell us, how did you end up opening a gift shop?
1: <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's a funny question. Um, and actually, one I get on a, a pretty regular basis. So, um, just for a little bit of context, um, my group tends to like to poke fun at me and um, maybe pull some some pranks, which I think is great. And so uh, one of my students or a few of my students had, had gotten into the habit of photoshopping my face and putting it onto to various things. And so this started with a pillow that was a, um, a prank gift for one of our holiday celebrations. Uh, and then it, it sort of morphed into uh, these magnets that um, my group, it had turned out, had, had distributed to people in other universities. And so I would walk around and you'd see these magnets and sort of like, where, where did these come from? And so there, there was... Um, I, I think it was a, a, a comment on Twitter about where they could get the magnets, and a, a group were sitting around talking, sort of joking, and uh, someone had made the comment, "Well, we should just make a gift shop and start selling them." Ha 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 ha, and you know, sort of go about our ways. And I think I was at a conference, and someone was like, "Where? Why do you guys have a gift shop?" I had no idea because <laughs> I, I I don't manage the, the group website, and so I went on and noticed that that one of my students had actually put together this this little gift shop, and so. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. I think it, in moving to Cornell, I thought maybe we might be free of the magnets, but you know, four days here, start wandering around, and the and the magnets are everywhere in the department. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's it's awesome.
0: Yeah. A really That's... nice, really nice story. I guess Matthias, we need to start a gift shop uh, for the elk crew.
2: <laughs> for sure. I
1: also order some Todd magnets. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I definitely,
0: definitely want to have a Todd pillow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the pillow sort of floats around people in the group
0: right now, so... <laughs> um, well, uh, let's move to science. Uh, we just heard about your way into biocatalysis coming from organometallic synthesis, uh, moving then into artificial metalloenzymes and then further into biocatalysis. And going through your list of publications, I have the impression that you consider enzymes kind of um, like uh, being big chemo-catalysts. So they're not... not necessarily bound to their natural function, but open to a lot more chemistry, uh, doing reactions that um, someone uh, coming from biocatalysis or biology would call promiscuous. Uh, Would this describe your view of enzymes and um, how do you approach the chemistry of enzymes? Or how would you uh, summarize this?
1: Yeah, I think that's a a really fair way of of describing our approach, I think you know for for me and for the group i think we're we're really interested in how we can use enzymes to solve us uh, challenges in synthetic organic chemistry and i think you know nature has provided a, a number of really really powerful reactions but i think there's lots of opportunities for being able to use you know the the unique interactions between the protein and and its substrates and reactive intermediates to address other types of selectivity challenges and i think what that means to us is that we really need to sort of move beyond um, you know, the natural function of, of proteins. And so I think for us, it's, it's, it's simpler to think of uh, these enzymes as being sort of. Like you said, big chemo catalysts that can in theory do many different types of transformations. And then once we identify new transformations, uh, begin to dig into the mechanism and better understand how the protein was able to facilitate that function. Of course, that can then inform, you know, future iterations and expansions on on that reactivity. But I think as a starting point, it's useful just to think of, you know, what can I do with that cofactor or with that catalytic machinery that nature isn't currently using it for?
0: Um, yeah, in this uh, thought process, uh, also judging from your publications, I think you end up quite often with radical reactions. So um, you even wrote a nice uh, review about the topic that I would like to recommend to our audience. In several of your projects, you managed to get enzymes that naturally would not catalyze radical reactions to do exactly this. Uh, so I was wondering how harmful is it for an enzyme that was not de- uh, designed for doing. Uh, for working with radicals to handle such reactive intermediates, do you ever kind of uh, deactivate an enzyme just uh, by doing your promiscuous reactions?
1: So I, I think we've sort of been fortunate in the flavoprotein uh, proteins that we have uh, a, a mechanism for essentially uh, preventing the radicals from doing other types of, of detrimental uh, reactions. I think. You know when, when we typically think about radicals in, in biology, I think oftentimes we're thinking about reactive oxygen species that have you know fairly strong OH bonds. Um, given that, that CH bonds are uh, not quite as strong, um, I think they aren't quite as reactive. And so they're going to be more prone to, say, abstract hydrogen atoms from tyrosines or cysteines. And in the case of the flavoproteins, uh, either in the hydroquinone or semiquinone oxidation state, you have a really incredible hydrogen atom source. And so if the radical um, doesn't do your desired reaction, it's sort of quickly terminated um, by by flavin. And so I think it's sort of a, a unique feature to, to having that flavin cofactor right next to where the radical's being formed. Yeah, I, I guess sort of... Also, sort of elaborating on that, uh, we, we tend to actually have more issues um, with certain substrates than we do with actually the radical intermediates. And so, for instance, when we've tried using alkyl iodides in the past, uh, those will, you know, alkylate lysines, for instance, um, and that tends to be the problem, not so much the radical intermediates.
0: In one of your recent papers, uh, you've uh, convinced an in reductase to catalyze intermolecular photobiocatalytic CC bond formations. In this case, it was uh, chloroamides, so uh, amids, so uh, not the bromo or the iodine compounds. And you even did this in gram scale. You demonstrated similar reactions before, but intramolecular. So how difficult was, was it to go from the intramolecular CC bond formation to an intermolecular bond, uh, CC bond formation?
1: So in truth, it wasn't as complicated as we initially thought. Um, we had you know, multiple group meetings where we are discussing really elaborate control strategies, because of course the inherent challenge is that you're forming a short-lived radical uh, in an active site that only, uh, we thought, would only bind one substrate at a time, and so how, how do you get both substrates bound prior to radical formation so that you get a selective reaction? Um, And so we we had sort of discussed some ideas, and I think it's really a testament to um, uh, my students uh, who who went and ran the simplest iteration first, and we actually found that 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 actually worked uh, quite nicely. And then it was really a a question of, you know, what is the um, synthetic utility of the reaction? It turns out that it was reasonably broad with regards to substrate scope. And then the big question was the control mechanism. And I think studying, you know, how these proteins are able to template uh, interesting charge transfer complexes has been really informative in terms of what other types of intermolecular reactions might be available to the system
0: um one thing i uh, thing i really liked about this publication but you also do in other publications is the scale you demonstrate so you kind of demonstrate scalability your isolated product in gram scale uh, which is uh, remarkable for a so-called promiscuous reaction um, However, scaling up light-dependent reactions at some point always raises the issue that illumination gets less effective at higher volumes. Where do you see the limit in photobiocatalytic batch reactions, and how can this be overcome?
1: Yeah. Uh I think, as you said, in in sort of any type of scaled uh, photochemical reaction, I think this is going to be a problem. I think, you know, we've definitely encountered this as a field in the area of photoredox catalysis. And I think, you know, the solution on that front has really been to move to flow. And so my feeling is that uh, flow is probably the way to do this in the future. Of course, biocatalytic reactions sort of present uh, some unique challenges for flow, at least with regards to, say, heterogeneity of, of the solution. Um, but I think you know we've we've been in sort of preliminary discussions with a few pharmaceutical companies about how you might overcome that type of challenge. And so um, I'm I'm you know really excited to to potentially collaborate with with folks who are really experts in that area who who might be able to to you know, better solve that on, on scale.
0: Um, finally, I'm interested in how you identify new promiscuous reactions. You just kind of mentioned that uh, your group members uh, suggest had some good suggestions in the intermolecular CC bond formations. But in general, is it more a screening effort of many, many different substrates and enzymes and conditions? Or do you usually do what you just told us about the, this project? Um, you do usually carefully plan a new reaction and just run a couple of experiments and you have this nice reactivity everyone dreams of
1: yeah so you know it it sort of evolves over the course of a project so i would say you know early on when we were trying to just see if these enzymes could do radical reactions there was a good deal of you know preparing different types of substrates at different redox potentials testing them and sort of you know gaining an understanding as to what sort of the redox bounds are on the protein. When we started to get new reactivity, then we do mechanistic studies. Those mechanistic studies inform new ideas as to how we might carry out a reaction. And So I would say we've sort of gone from something that might be a little bit more screening to find reactivity to an approach now that's a little bit more um, based on a certain mechanistic feature. We should be able to do this and designing substrates accordingly.
2: In one of your interviews, you mentioned that as a graduate student, you were not interested in biology or that you were even repelled by it. Now this summer, you will receive the Biotrans 2021 Junior Award. How has your view on biological systems changed? How important is your perspective as an organic chemist for your work?
1: Yeah, uh, so I think, you know, as an undergrad, you know, you take these introductory biology courses and I think to me, what it looked like was cartoons reacting with other cartoons to form new cartoons, and uh, to to my way of thinking about things, it just it didn't feel like like something tangible and, and real, and so I think it just didn't resonate with me to the same degree. And then I think it was during um, a talk I think I saw in my second or third year by Manfred Reitz where he was using enzymes to do organic synthesis and sort of discussing how the enzyme is activating the substrate for a reaction, that I realized that the, the way to actually think about these things is on a more molecular level. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that made made uh, you know, enzymes in particular resonate to a much larger degree uh, than they had in the past. And so I think, for me, uh, thinking about an enzyme as an organic reaction and how the protein is activating the substrate for catalysis, um, that, that's when it becomes sort of real to me. And so that, that sort of changes, right, how I, how I end up thinking about biology. I try and move away from cartoons and spend more time thinking about, um, you know, what on a molecular level is going on. And when I do that, then I become really excited about it. And so I think it's really just maybe for me learning how to look at the area in a way that, that resonates with me.
2: You made a pretty impressive career focusing on the application of enzymes for synthesis and on enzyme uh, promiscuity. Please share some advice for the PhD students and young postdocs we have among our listeners. How should a young PI
1: select his or her research topic? Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, um, what I think is really valuable is to identify you know, what you view to be a, a really important uh, challenge in, in whatever, uh, whatever field you're, you're working in. And then I, I would try and, you know, identify an, a, an approach or a research strategy that's maybe a little bit distinct from, from what other folks are doing um, in, the, in the field. Um, I think that allows you to uh, develop a, a unique identity while also driving up, up problems that people will, will think to be important. And I think, you know, collectively that can be a, a really great way of um, developing a research program.
2: I agree, so to uh, move a little bit further than what's recently done. Um, yeah, photobiocatalysis remains a hot topic in our community. Uh, where do you see this going in future? Actually, uh, do you expect other enzyme classes to be found to be as useful for po- photobiocatalysis as in reductasis? Uh When do you expect that uh, a photobiocatalytic reaction is also feasible on industrial scale?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, m- my view is that there there's actually a lot of enzymes that should be able to have new functions when irradiated with light in the appropriate substrate. And so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that, you know, in, in the coming years, our group and others are going to discover other enzyme classes that are going to be really outstanding uh, photoenzymes. Um, you know, with regards to, you know, when do I expect it to be industrially relevant, you know, you know, I think first, first of all, you you have to find an important reaction that industry really needs to run, uh, and and then I think it's it's really going to be collaborating with experts in um, the area of flow, maybe enzyme immobilization, things along those lines, uh, to to be able to turn it into an industrially relevant process. Um, there are, of course, you know, batch photochemical reactions that are run with with photo redox catalysts, um, and and those you know would 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 Potentially be you know a valuable approach to that, but I think my belief is that flow is probably the the way to turn this into something that can be can be run on really large scale. And of course, coupling um, uh, the discovery of new reactions with with protein engineering um, to increase the efficiency. I think you know as is the case with um, any sort of promiscuous uh, function, what you start off with is maybe not an ideal um, enzyme for for a scaled-up reaction, and so engineering it to uh, accommodate larger amounts of substrates, be more selective, higher yielding will of course be important. Uh,
0: We now come to our quick surprise questions. So I will ask you a couple of quick uh, questions and uh, ask you just for a very short answer. Um, Todd, what is your favorite enzyme or your favorite enzyme family?
1: Uh, so, I, uh, I love uh, ene reductases, obviously. Um, I've always been fascinated by PLP dependent enzymes. Uh, just the diversity of reactivity available to that cofactor, I think, is, is really incredible. And so, um, yeah, while well, well, EREDs and, and Flavin have been fantastic and I continue to expect them to be great, I, I am always fascinated by PLP dependent reactivity.
0: I mean, it's fun if we would do statistics, how often uh, we get which enzyme class in this podcast? For, uh, answered for this question. Um, I think in redactesis they would they would win.
1: <laughs> um, oh really? That's great. <laughs> yes. um,
0: what do you expect from a good paper? Uh,
1: you know, I think what I like are are papers that make me think about an enzyme or a synthetic problem in a slightly different way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What is a scientific no go for you? Either in a paper or in a talk.
1: Hmm. Oh. Um well in talks I've I've seen a few people do this. Uh, any sort of disparaging of, uh, of your students and postdocs is uh, mm-hmm. pretty distasteful to me. Uh, and it it always surprises me when people do this. <laughs> yeah. Um and so I think I think that would that would be a, a something that I I would never want to get close to.
0: Mm-hmm what was the nicest or what was the worst reviewer comment you ever got?
1: Um, I think we've, we've had a number of, of nice comments, um, in terms of negative ones, you know, there, there was maybe one that, that suggested that, you know, maybe we, we didn't know what was going on. Um, and, you know, even at that, like I, I, Maybe i'm I'm naive, but I, I tend to want to believe that reviewers that give you negative comments are trying to improve the science, not trying to uh, take you know cheap shots at, at your intellect or, or experimental procedures. And so um, I think while I was maybe frustrated by it, I thought the reviewers still raised some some good comments that we should probably uh, address. Um, yeah, I think so.
0: Finally, how do you spend your time when you're not thinking about science?
1: Oh uh, so I have a few hobbies that I enjoy um, I am a, a golfer so I in the mm-hmm. in the spring and summer and fall I, I tend to golf on a on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I go running a few times a week um, I enjoy brewing beer oh, awesome um, yeah I enjoy drinking wine and cocktails, (laughs) yeah, I guess those would be the things I do beyond chemistry. Although sometimes they they end up crossing with chemistry a bit, which is okay.
0: Yeah, very nice. I have uh, one last question, which is not necessarily part of this quick question round. Uh, So you will receive the Biotrans Junior Award. Um, Can you give us some sneak peek into what you will talk about in your award lecture?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think what I will uh, talk about will be, you know, some of, of course, the chemistry that we've, we've published, um, trying to develop radicals that can do um, inter- and intramolecular uh, reactions, and then um, assuming everything goes to plan, uh, we've got some, some new radical intermediates that we haven't reported on uh, yet that involve a, a new reaction mechanism. Uh, that, that I'm hoping I'll be able to share with folks, uh, assuming it's it's just about done at that point. So um, that, that's what I'm hoping to be able to share with you all. That'll be hopefully the first time that I talk about that.
0: Well, now I'm really curious. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Todd. Thanks for the nice interview. Congratulations again to the Badrons Junior Award. Um, yeah, thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. This has been, This has been great.
2: Also, Todd, goodbye from my side.
0: Thank you all, dear listeners, for listening to this episode. Let's meet again in two weeks in the active site when we meet the next person uh, who will have a lecture at the Biotrans 2021. And as always, we are grateful for any feedback or questions you send us. Contact us uh, either via the Biotrans Twitter account or just send us an email.
2: So for today's sign-off, I want to talk that actually the first paper uh, Todd published uh, made big waves in our lab. So basically, uh, during some literature screening, someone found this amazing uh, activity uh, uh, reported uh, by an ADH with photobiocatalysis. I think it was unprecedented, there were basically no publications similar to this out there. We put it in our social room and I think for weeks uh, we discussed about this particular paper and uh, nobody knew who was this guy, Todd Heister. And now, a couple of years later, he's sitting with us here and receiving the junior uh, Award, And this is simply amazing.
0: This podcast is released under a Creative Commons buy license, which allows rework and redistribution as long as credit is given and any adaption is licensed under similar terms.